So we've gone through some of the verses that share and build our faith, that teach us what, we've, what we can believe, what gives us comfort and hope. Um, and these are in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And so now we've come into Romans chapter 12. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where uh, Paul starts lining out for us how we can start applying the things that we've learned. He looks at the big plan of salvation. He says, God, this is so wonderful. No one else could come up with this plan. And there's nothing that we can do as humans to participate, to tell you what to do, to give you wisdom. It's all God's plan. And so he finishes out 11, chapter 11 with a doxology. And chapter 12 now, he comes with the part of an application. So let's read that together. If you'll open up there in Romans 12 in your Bible or swipe there on your device. Let's read this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Let's stop and have another word of prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have provided us with what we need to know uh, thank you for giving us faith to believe in you. And um, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't have that faith yet, that hasn't put their trust in you, may this be their day of salvation where they accept you. And God, for those of us who already claim you as Savior, may you point out something to us that we need to grow in, that we might not be the same that we came in. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Looking at chapter 12 here, God, or Paul has uh, broken down the chapter into three different duties. If we have seen that God has done everything we need for salvation, if we've seen that all of the, the grace that he gives to us, giving the things that we don't deserve, and all of the mercy he gives to us, which is not receiving what we do deserve, um, then we should be willing to give to him. We should be willing to thank him. We should be willing to participate because of what he has done. 
because of God's mercy, uh, is something that he says here. In view of God's mercy, the judgment that we deserve is because of our sin. We deserve to be separated from God eternally because we have broken uh, the things that he's wanted us to do because we were born into sin. And so this is why he starts out here uh, talking about mercy. But the very first word is therefore. And so as Thomas has always said to us, what is the therefore, therefore? Right? It's because he's gone through all of the doctrine and things that we've talked about And now we need to apply it. So because of all of these things, therefore, let's do this. And what is this this then that he wants us to do? Because of God's mercy. But he talks to us as brother and sister. Um, Paul here is using an intimate relationship. He's he's saying, I am one of you. He's saying, um, God has given me an understanding, but... We need to do this together. We need to encourage each other. Um, Here in in Brazil, sometimes we joke about a deputado or a ministro using a carteirada. You know, he uses his his badge to say, hey, I'm an authority. Paul's not doing that here. He is uh, saying, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, I'm one of you, um, and encouraging us to do that. In another book that Paul wrote uh, to Philemon, uh, he says this, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than I, Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So it's a reflection of, of his position of why he's calling each other a brother and sister, because he wants to lovingly encourage us to do something. Um, What is it that he wants us to do? Let's move into this next part here of of verse 1. What we're going to do is pick through all the different parts of these verses so we can understand uh, what's going on. So it says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here we have Paul who's writing to a Jewish community that lives in Rome that also has a lot of Gentiles who have accepted Christ. And so when a Jew hears the word sacrifice, they're automatically going to start thinking about the old covenant, the things that have been put in place when uh, the Jews left Egypt. Um, There was the giving of sacrifices. There was uh, going to the temple. There was offering things. Um, And so this being a living sacrifice is something sort of different for an old Jewish community. And for the Gentiles, we're in Rome. We're in a metropolis, an urban area. And Rome is also a place where uh, secular society is doing things that are obviously wrong. And one of them is actually giving sacrifices Some of them even were giving their children as sacrifices to deity. And so Paul is asking here for people to give themselves as a living sacrifice. It's a a transition for these Jewish people who are now learning about Christianity. It's a transition from them going from the old covenant into the new covenant. 
here the interesting thing uh, is that if you're giving something and it's our body, uh, it's not just the skin. It's not just the physical that God wants. It's not just uh, making yourself useful. It's our whole self. It's going to be a complete image, a wholeness. It's giving our, our body and uh, our soul. And we'll also see here that it's going to be giving our mind. Another passage uh, where God uh, talks to us about being a sacrifice is in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. And uh, some of you who are part of a group here in, in church called the Living Stones, uh, this was uh, the title verse. It says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the interesting thing that we see here is that God wants us to give our bodies. So we are the person who's doing the offering, and we are also the offering, the sacrifice. And then here in Peter, God shows us that uh, we are as a temple, we are a priesthood. So the interesting thing is that we are then the giver of the offering, we are the offering, and we're also the priest. It's an image of Christ himself, right? Christ gave himself. He came to this world. He died on the cross. He also is the offering. He is the sacrificial lamb. He was the perfect lamb to take away our sin. And then also, he, as the one who does all these things, is our high priest. He's the one who mediates between us and Christ. So the interesting thing is that God is asking us to... Act like Christ, to be like Christ, by putting on this image. What type of sacrifice is this when God asks us to become a living sacrifice? There are two types of sacrifices that, as I was studying through here, we have. We have a sacrifice of atonement, which means I'm going to sacrifice this because I've done something wrong. Uh, there's judgment involved. So the wages of sin is death. And so that's what the sacrifice is for. This one that it's talking about here is not that type of sacrifice. This is a sacrifice of honor, a sacrifice of acknowledgement, when you want to give a gift because of what somebody else has done. So this is a, a, not a death type of sacrifice of atonement for sin, but it's a sacrifice that is going to be given to God. And that's why it says he wants a holy and pleasing sacrifice. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. If you will, we're going to jump around a little bit in the scripture here today. Uh, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll look at verse 9 and, and 10. So there are two words here that Paul uses to describe the sacrifice. He says, I want a sacrifice that is holy and a sacrifice that is pleasing. What is the word holy? When you think of the word holy, uh, sometimes we think of a saint. Oh, somebody, you know, it's a saint. Like, what it actually means is something that is separated for a purpose. Something that's holy. It's, it has a reason, and it's taken away uh, from the things that are normal around it uh, to be put up as a display or something that makes it special. 
So that's what God wants uh, holy, uh, our sacrifices to be holy for. It also means that as we are separated from something, that we're going to stop participating or stop doing other things um, because we need to be different from the world around us. The part of being pleasing here is something that is uh, acceptable. It's something that's going to be easy for us to, to participate in so that other people can enjoy it. And so this is going to represent our encouraging uh, word, the, the part of where we're helping each other be built up. As we live together as a church, as one body, it's going to be pleasing. And here's where we're going to read uh, 2 Corinthians together. Uh, let's look at verses 9 through 10. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So pleasing to the Lord. Is your life doing something? Is your life participating? Is your life sharing things that are acceptable to God? Is the things that you say, the things that you do, encouraging to others, does it make them want to follow Christ or to know Christ more? And so that's why here we have the holiness and the pleasing sacrifice. And God wants us to be that sacrifice. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So pleasing God is going to require that we have this faith, faith that we believe in what He has done. So we mentioned that Rome was this urban center with all of these wicked things going on. It has a place where they've uh, given sacrifices to other deities. They've even sacrificed uh, their children. This was something that was done mostly in Carthage, which was a town in the Roman Empire. Um, sounds like sometimes what we see today in today's society. Um, we have the abortion issue going on, right? In the United States, a big change, uh, sacrificing of children, uh, people doing detestable and wicked things. A perverse generation um, was something in Rome. So we see a, a resemblance of today's society as we look at things that were going on in Rome. So back to Romans 12. We've talked about... Uh, giving our bodies, having a living sacrifice. And then why? It says, this is your true and proper worship. That's what I read here in this new version of the NIV. Other versions of this, uh, maybe that you've memorized as a child, say that this is your spiritual act of worship. Or in other words, uh, this is your reasonable act. Uh, the Portuguese uses the word culto racional. It's, a, it's a, something that you can think of. And so as we look now into this next section, uh, Paul is showing how important it is that we have a faith that uh, is something good in our minds. Uh, we've talked about the sacrifice that we have to be whole and complete, 
that it needs to be our body and our mind and our soul. Um, we have a God who likes order, who likes things organized. He's a coherent God. He's a God who communicates with us. Um, it's not a, a type of communication that's just words, mumbo-jumbo, that you don't understand. Um, as we look into creation, we see organization, and, and science shows us that we have intelligent design. Um, God has used everything uh, to have a purpose and a plan. And so when God says here for us to, to prepare our minds and have a reasonable, um, a reasonable faith, to have a culto racional, as it said in Portuguese, oh, we are to have a faith that is good for our thoughts and our processes. And we'll look deeper into this here. Um, usually God is going to ask us to do things that are reasonable. Uh, God's going to ask us to do things that have a purpose. But you might say, Carrie, um, sometimes God might ask me to do something that I just don't understand. He's going to make me go off into a world, into a weird country. Um, if you pull a story out of the Bible, God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. That doesn't sound reasonable. As we look back, we have the opportunity of hindsight, you know, 2020, uh, hindsight vision, it, it looks easy. But imagine Abraham, who has God ask him to do something. If we look at that story, um, Abraham is able to think and say, God has been so wonderful and great that even if I have to kill my son, God can raise him from the dead. And so God had a purpose and a plan, as we know, uh, to bring about salvation. But having those questions about what is God asking me to do and why is not a problem. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing for us to ask because then we're able to look and see the answers that God has. Um, this is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about worship, we're thinking, uh, you know, the music time. And I love music. I love to, to sing. We're always having music playing at home. Um, I love to feel music. I love to, to, to have the, the sound strong. Um, here at, at church, we love to play music and, and, and to have everyone singing. But the interesting thing is that we're talking about putting in music that will affect our minds. We're talking about saying words that have a meaning and a purpose. Um, we have to have a balance when we're talking about worship music that we're not thinking about music that makes us uh, always feel emotional and great. You know, there's a lot of people who are looking for that spiritual high or a mountaintop experience. Um, the words that we sing are very important because they relate to us and our relationship with God. And so sometimes it's important that we sing uh, songs that have uh, our faith statements in it, not just the oba-oba music. Uh, you know, that makes us feel good. But I love participating in the AV and looking out and seeing people worship the Lord. I love to see people um, expressing themselves in worship. And that is important. But we just have to have good balance. 
of what is uh, true and proper worship. I was uh, listening to some of the things that uh, Augustus Nicodemus was, was talking about, and he says that it's important that we understand uh, if leadership is expressing what God wants. As we talk about music, there are some bands out there who come from churches, and some of these churches want to promote music um, that tells about their doctrine, that tells about their faith. And sometimes this music is really fun and, and good, but what happens is it communicates the doctrine of that church. And so sometimes that's why here at Calvary we decide not to sing uh, certain songs because even though it's a fun song or it might be uh, neat to sing together, it's not really promoting the doctrine of the Bible. It, it's promoting the, the thought that this leader of this church might have. And one of the churches that's very famous out there is using what's called universalism. And universalism is an understanding that God is love, and so if God loves everyone, everyone's going to be saved. Um, and we find that that's, uh, that's not necessarily true. God is love, God does love everyone, but there is going to be judgment. There is going to be uh, a separation for those who haven't accepted him. Now, I'm the one, John, with this uh, mic here that's coming off my ear. So, now we continue on in, in the study here of these verses. We've talked about giving our body. We've talked about the, the giving of our, our body and our mind and our soul. So now it says that we need to be transformed. Let's look here. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, in verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here, God is showing again the importance of being prepared in our mind, of having a, a thought process, that using our mind is important to having a Christian faith. Now, having a transformed mind, this doesn't mean that we're going to change the physical brain matter in our mind. Um, this isn't saying that we're going to have a surgery and, and change things. It is meaning that what is important are the things that we think about. It's about the qualities and the state of our mind and what occupies our, our time. Now, if you look here, it doesn't say much about how the transformation happens and it doesn't necessarily say what the renewal of our mind is. It doesn't give a, a, like a progress, but what it does do is qualify it from a negative side. And what does it say? It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And so here we have an understanding that the pattern of the world is contrary to the pattern of God. Here it says that the way that the world wants to do things is going to be different from the way that we should act, the way that we should be promoting things in our mind. Um, it's like a, a, a fashion statement. Um, the world's going to have a way that, that uh, 
that you should be and that this is the, the way things should be. And God's going to have a different type of, of, of fashion. I'm not talking about physical clothes right now. But the way that we represent ourselves, the way that we act, is going to be different. Um, this means that the world and the way the world wants to do is as contrary to God, it's going to be our enemy. And that's how we need to look at things and understand things. As an enemy, it's going to want to distract us from our mission. It's going to want to, to take our vision and our minds off of what God wants us to do. As an enemy, it's going to attack our principles. It's going to want to uh, undermine the things that we think are true. It's going to want to destroy and put down those who promote and want to do what is good, uh, according to the Bible. It means that the enemy is going to use tactics to change our mind, like a Jedi mind trick. You know, it's going to want to come at us and, and say, no, this isn't exactly how God wants things. If, if Satan understands that our minds are supposed to be following God, he's going to want to get into our minds. And I truly believe that some of the things that happen in people's minds uh, are because of what Satan wants. Uh, he brings discomfort. He brings confusion. He brings doubt. There are a lot of psychological diseases out there. Um, different disorders. How much of that is actually because Satan wants to control our mind and doesn't want you to have control of your mind? Uh, the world wants to promote different things to release you from your mind. So you don't have control of your mind. It promotes the use of drugs and alcohol. And some people look for this. They try and re, uh, get rid of having control of their mind. And so that's one of the reasons why God encourages us to stay away from these things. It's because we need to have self-control. Uh, the first sin, uh, the first temptation that came into the world was Satan coming to Eve and putting that doubt into her mind. Did God really say that this was what you're supposed to do? Can you see this is already Satan from the very beginning is working in our thoughts and in our minds. It's funny. Sometimes today, kids and the new generation, when they say a word, they're actually meaning the opposite. Um, it's funny to, to have a conversation and, and somebody says something and, and I'm like, oh, wait a second, you said this. But no, that's not what I meant. I meant this over here. Um, how much in our world that we see today uh, is a change of what used to be acceptable and now uh, isn't? Or even the things that were good now are not good. Um, The world today says we're supposed to tolerate things and not go against it. Um, they want us to tolerate their intolerance. So if we are supposed to follow God's pattern and God's mind, what are some of the qualities that you can think of 
that we should have in our mind? What are some of the things that uh, should benefit the way that we think? And I came up with a short list here, and I'm sure there's plenty others. But we should have a new disposition, a new willingness to follow and do uh, the things of God. Um, Having a willingness and a disposition here is a good way to fight against depression. A lot of times depression is a uh, something that puts us down and, and doesn't want us to participate and doesn't want us to do things. So having a spiritual mindset that I can do this, uh, it's a willingness to fight against that. Having an inclination towards things now that are more spiritual. Uh, as someone who, f- who follows Christ, uh, we should be more inclined than to be in the Word of God. We should be more inclined to coming to church, to encouraging each other. Uh, we should uh, want to participate in small groups. Uh, Dale and Tamara are the ones in charge of our uh, community groups here at church. And so we should be inclined to want to participate and gather. Um, for those of you who are teens, uh, we have a youth group, and we get together on Sundays. So if you want to be a Christ follower, you should be more inclined. Uh, you should desire to come and participate in some of those things. A mindset that is sympathetic towards others, thinking of others and their needs. Um, it's so easy for us to get busy. Uh, it's so easy for us to say, oh, somebody else can take care of that. Um, but when we have Christ in our minds, we're going to be wanting to help others. We're going to want to participate. And at the same time that we're sympathetic and, and wanting to gather with others, we also have to become apathetic, which is more of the thing of putting away and pushing away from what is wrong. Um, if we're changing from what the world has, sometimes that means saying no to something. Sometimes that saying no is to something that is bad, uh, a friend maybe that influence you, influences you and wants you to do something wrong. It could be something that in itself is good, but not the right time. Those of you who are thinking about um, getting married or or dating somebody, um, sometimes you have to say, no, this isn't proper for me right now. Um, There's a time for that. We need to wait. Um, If we have the Holy Spirit in us, When we open up the Word of God, we can pray and say, God, help me understand the things that I'm reading. Help us understand what's going on uh, in this passage that I'm reading. And so the Holy Holy Spirit will will affect our minds and help us understand and have wisdom. And the other thing that is in our minds that the Holy Spirit will do is called a conscience. Um, Understanding when we've done something wrong. When uh, we're following Christ, uh, we're going to understand when we've sinned. And that means then that we have to ask for forgiveness. It means that we have to confess. It, it, it might mean that we have to uh, do something that's um, embarrassing to, to say, oh, I, did, I was wrong, I'm sorry. But having the Holy Spirit affect our conscience. Living with our Christ-like minds means that we will bring about good and certain results. 
It also means, though, that we have to beware of being self-righteous, that we're not judgmental towards people because, ooh, look at me, I'm, I'm good, I'm spiritual. It means that we can't be rude or conceited. Look at Galatians with me. Um, Galatians chapter 5. Very famous passage here. Looking at verse 22 and on, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, but let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So having the mindset of Christ now is going to help bring results. We're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to do things that are good. But as it says here, we need to be warned that living in the Spirit means we also have responsibility to not be conceited and to provoke others. We're supposed to do all of that out of love for each other, to point out error. We are supposed to... uh, see where sin is. We are supposed to help each other. And there's a process the Bible tells about how we need to go to a brother when they've done something wrong to help encourage them to to stop doing that. So I'm not saying that uh, we can't point out people's sins, but it has to be done properly. When we are talking about our minds, there's another image that's very famous in the Bible Uh, And that is that we're having a battle, okay? So one of the things that we see when we're we're studying uh, Ephesians is that there's the armor of God. Um, Kids, can can any of you tell me what is the piece of armor that's going to help protect our mind? A? A helmet, that's right. And in Ephesians, it's called the helmet of God. Of salvation. So if you want to look at Ephesians 6 with me, Galatians, Ephesians, right? Yay. Just a few pages over. Okay, starting at verse 10. I'm going to skip around here because we, we don't have time for everything, but it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So the devil's schemes here, we're talking about different plans and ideas that the devil has. And a lot of it happens right up here. Okay, now jump down to verse 17. And here it says, take the helmet of salvation. Salvation here then is the qualification of what kind of helmets we're putting on. A a helmet for a a soldier is very important. If you're in a battle and you take off your helmet, what's going to happen? You could die instantly sometime. You could get a a bullet wound. You can get a a flasha, an arrow. 
into your mind, and you're gone like that. And it's the same thing spiritually. If we aren't having the helmet of salvation, if, if we haven't said, God, uh, I confess my sin, uh, I want your salvation, uh, if we haven't confessed, we don't know when our time is, when our moment is, and we can be gone like that. And we'll spend the rest of eternity separated from God. It's a protective piece of armor. Um, and as it protects us then, it's going to protect us in our thought life. And that's part of what this armor of salvation here is. So our thought life is something that we need to be mindful of. Oh, check that out. Our thought life is something that uh, is important for us to control. Um, so here's a question. Is having a bad thought a sin? You can go on both sides of this uh, issue. But I want us to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you'll uh, turn there with me. Um, have you heard of this phrase, the mind is the playground of the devil? It is because... When we have a thought, um, the devil can get that thought and make you think about it and make you develop it and create an idea. And this is oh, where the playground of the devil comes in. It, it makes you think you're having fun, but it's going to bring problems. Um, and, and I wrestle with this a lot. Sometimes I, I start thinking about, oh, this guy doesn't like me, and then he's going to do this, and... Uh, then this is how I'm going to react. And I'll spend my whole you know, hour, half hour just imagining a scenario of what could happen. Um, here's where uh, we need to be careful as men about entertaining ide ideas about ladies. God has asked us to, to not have adultery with women. And this means, as a married man, I should not have a relationship with another lady. I have a lovely wife. I shouldn't want to do that. And so that's why Jesus says, uh, if you've even thought about having that in your mind, you've committed sin. And so we need to have control over our thoughts. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I asked you to turn here. Let's uh, look at verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so here's the, the point of reference I want to use for this that when we have something in our mind that doesn't come from Christ, we say, oh, God, that doesn't come from you. Um, help me not continue thinking about that. Help me think about something else. Or um, I actually believe that we can say out in the name of Jesus, Satan, stop tempting me with this. Um, stand up against the devil's schemes. So taking captive that thought, it's, uh, it's what we're called to do. So going back to Romans 12, 
we've uh, looked here, it says that we are to trans, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Looking at this, it's a process. Uh, being transformed by the renewing. It's, it's uh, something that's going to be continuous. We're not going to have an immediate result uh, when we start working on this. And, and to some of us, like me, uh, I can be impatient sometimes, and I want to know exactly you know, what's going to happen. Uh, and in today's world, everything's a touch, uh, everything's immediate. It's a, it's a difficult situation sometimes for us to be patient and waiting uh, for this. But if we look at the, this word here in the Greek, or how it was ori- originally written, it's the word metamorphosed. Metamorphosed. Uh, something that's going to take time and transform. And so kids, have you heard of the word metamorphosis? What is an animal that we think of when we hear the word metamorphosis? A butterfly, I heard that. Um, A butterfly takes time. The caterpillar has to find its leaves, it needs to eat, and then it has to spin its cocoon. And inside the cocoon, uh, the, the caterpillar is actually changed into this beautiful butterfly. And it's a process. So this here, the word metamorphosis or metamorphosed, uh, is talking about this transformation that's not going to happen quickly. The word metamorphosed here in the Greek is used in other times in Scripture. And usually these times that it's uh, used are when it's talking about the way somebody looks. And so there's two images here in Scripture that we can reference. One is when Jesus uh, was with his disciples and then he goes up into the mountain and he's transfigured. He becomes showing his glory. He's reflecting light. And then uh, Elijah and Moses come and and they have their special moment, and the disciples want to build tents and live in that special moment. But that's one of the images uh, using this word metamorphosed. There's another one, uh, which is in the Old Testament. And here we have a story of Moses, who has gone up onto Mount Sinai. Uh, He's up in the mountain, and he's speaking with God, and he says, God, I want to see you, I want to know your glory. And God shows him a little bit of it, and gives him the Ten Commandments. And then Moses comes down the mountain uh, to be with the people of Israel. And he's been with God for, I think it says, 40 days. Spending time with God. And so, what happens? If you all know the story, Moses gets down with the people there, And they're saying, Moses, your face is reflecting. It's so bright. Please please cover it. Put a veil over it. And so here we have uh, Moses who has been transformed. He's, He's showing God's glory. But what is he showing? He's showing a reflection of what he's been with, of who he's been with. Moses is reflecting God's glory because he's been in his presence. And so here is another question. How do we get in the presence of God? How do we get to experience 
the glory of God so that we're reflecting him to other people. It's here. It's being in God's word. It's being uh, into what he said. It's spending time in prayer. It's being on our knees, asking God, uh, talking to God. Um, Those are the ways that we today get to participate in the presence of God, of of being with him. Um, Is this something that we can do ourselves? Can we force ourselves to be translucent? Can we force ourselves to, to represent God? No, it's not something that we can, can conjure up. And 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his, into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, through his spirit. So this is something that has to happen from inside, but when we are participating and being in his presence, when we are reading. So as we're doing our part, our part, which is being in scripture, he will do his part, which is going to be in us and helping us grow. So now we get to come to the result of what happens when we give our bodies, when we do our duty, uh, when we are in transformation of our mind, we get to have a result. And so here we can continue uh, in verse 2. Can you think we've only been studying two verses here? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, when I think of the word test, it says here you can test God's word, uh, test God's will. Um, I think of, you know, being in school and doing a test and, and those things. But actually, if you, uh, even the word in Portuguese here, it's experimentar. It's to experience. Um, you're able to uh, be a part of God's uh, will when we are doing these things. And so that's what it means here when it says uh, testing. Um, Turn with me to Ephesians 5. Let's look at another scripture here where Paul is is telling people about this. It's Ephesians 5, and we'll look at verse 8, 9 and 10. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Then we jump down to verse 15 here. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
Here's the mind again, taking care of our thoughts. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So here's another uh, passage where Paul is talking to a different church, the church in Ephesus, uh, about knowing the will of the Lord. Uh, we can know then what God's will is. We can know the things that God wants to do. Um, how, how do we understand what God's will is? And what kind of will are we talking about here? So if you look here in the verse back in Romans, it says that God's will is good, God's will is pleasing, and God's will is perfect. If God's will is good, that means it's not a malicious will. That means it's not going to be something that is against us or, or, or that God wants something bad for us. It is good. It is going to be something that is good for us. It's acceptable. Um, that means it's going to be something that is pleasing for us. It's going to be something pleasing for others when we're in God's will, when we're doing God's will. And then it says that God's will is perfect. If God's will is perfect, that means it is complete. That means it has everything necessary. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. So that's a way that we can qualify what type of a will we have uh, from God. Now, when we talk about God's will, we can uh, put them into two different categories. There is God's revealed will, what he's already shown us and told us of what we should do. And then there's also God's future will, as I want to put it, or God's will of how things are going to be and these are things that we not always will understand. This is a category of, of things that maybe we shouldn't know yet. All right? So, there are things that God has revealed about his will. And most of it is right here. Some of it is going to be questions that we can ask from other people's experience of what God has shown them. But... Uh, if we say that God's will is revealed here, we can have confirmation or we can be affirmed that everything that we need is going to be here. So take a look at 2 Timothy. Here is a, a famous verse. So many verses are famous, right? Here is a, a let's see, I'm going to get there. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Are you there with me? Did you flip already? All right. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The things that we need to know are, are going to be here. Uh, they're going to be open for us, but we have to go after it. We have to be looking. Um, the ultimate guide for our life 
uh, is this book, is, is the Bible. Back a while ago, there was a famous phrase that lots of kids uh, even had on bracelets and things and t-shirts. It was WWJD. Do you remember that? What would Jesus do? Um, it's something that came to my mind to remember this. If you want to know God's will, that's the question you need to ask. What would Jesus do in this situation? Oh, what would Jesus do if, if I was put into a difficult place? Uh, what would Jesus do? And we need to have that, uh, that mindset. How do we do that? There are different verses that can encourage us here. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we need to be asking God, what is your will? What is it you want me to do? Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So God wants you to know his will. God wants us to know more about him. Um, but we have to do our part of going after it. Uh, John 16, 24. This one's interesting. It says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be complete. Now, if I take this out of context, I'm going to say, um, Oh, I can ask for anything and God's going to give it to me because I asked in Jesus' name. Hallelujah! A million dollars, please. <laughs> um, there is a... a, a doctrines that promote that idea. Uh, and that's a lot of what this prosperity gospel is. I can claim it, I can name it, because I've done it in the name of Jesus. And it, so we have to understand some of the context behind these things. But God wants us to know his will, and so he, we can ask for it. And that's what he's saying here. You want to know more about the Father? Ask me, and I will show you the Father. That's what's going on when the disciples are talking to him about asking in Jesus' name. So, God is not a genie. He's not one that we can just rub and get our wishes from. Um, it's important that we are in the spirit, that we're asking God according to his will, uh, what it is. So, I have three daughters. And I told them if I'm going to be the pastor uh, today, I get to use them as examples, right? So... No, I'm not going to do that today. But you girls, you ladies, uh, who should I marry? That's a good question, right? You guys uh, who haven't been married yet, who should I marry? Does the Bible say in here, uh, you should marry Laura, you should marry Raquel, you should... Actually, it does to some people. But what it does do is give some qualifications of what you should consider when you are going to marry somebody. It says, do not be unequally yoked. Um, that means don't be joined together with somebody who isn't like you. And the reference here is not to marry someone who's an unbeliever. That means that you should be dating or you should be going with somebody uh, who has values that are with you uh, in Christ. Um, it means that we should not commit adultery, right? For those of us who are married, 
but it also is for those who are going to be married. Remain pure. Um, protect yourself. Don't be with somebody who wants you to do the things that are wrong. Don't put yourself in a situation um, that's going to be dangerous. So, who should you marry? There are some descriptions um, that the Bible is specific about. Uh, when it talks about qualifications of, of deacons and elders, it says that the man should be a one-wife man, a one-woman man. So you, you don't want to go uh, and, and be with people who might be polygamous or might have lots of girlfriends, lots of boyfriends. Um, that means that the man should be self-controlled. It means that the man should know how to behave. So girls, if, if you're looking for a guy, uh, watch for these virtues, these values. And then you guys, uh, looking for uh, a lady, Titus 2 has great virtues for ladies. Um, two that stand out is that it's not a slanderer. It's a person who's going to control their, their mouths. They're not going to be talking bad about others. And a lady who is pure. That's important. God says here. So, do you want to know God's will? There are scripture. There is verse. Uh, there are people who have experienced life uh, and understood things. And so that's why it's important for us to be together uh, as a body. So we've looked at verses 1 and 2. And I have a note here to check my time. So we're doing okay. Let's continue here into verse 3. This is where we start to, to understand the gathering together and our duty that we have uh, to ourselves. We, we've looked at a duty that we have to God, which is giving our sacrifice, uh, which is uh, transformation in our mind as we're in His Word. And now we have a duty to ourselves. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, every one of you, okay? So that means all of us who are believers. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Um, being sober-minded uh, means that we're going to have control of what we think, but it also means that we're going to be modest. We're going to be humble. Um, God's not saying here that we can't have uh, strong opinions. God's not saying that we shouldn't strive to be spiritual, but it means that we need to, when we are with other people, we need to have control of our mind and control of our words. We need to be sober and humble when we are with others. Galatians 6 here says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone 
but without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. So how are we going to be uh, a person who is sober-minded? How are we going to be people who are humble? Uh, we have to have the mindset of remembering certain things, and I've broken out uh, three different things here. We need to remember that what we have comes from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So, first of all, we need to be humble because of what we have, what God has prepared, what God has given to us, is because of what he has given us, not because of what we've done. Another thing that we need to remember is that anything good that we have isn't because we made it good, but anything that we have is good because God made it good. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so it's important for us to be humble. How? By remembering that what we've received is from God. From everything that's good has come from God. And then also we need to remember that when God chooses all of us to participate together, he's going to give all of us gifts. He's going to give all of us spiritual ways to participate. Um, we're not the only ones that have uh, the answer. We're not the only ones uh, who are going to understand things. And so that's why God wants us to live in unity, live together, so that we can encourage and help each other. You're going to have some spiritual gifts that I don't have. Um, she or he might have other spiritual gifts. And so when we all fit together and we use our gifts together, then we're going to grow. One of the things we've been talking about as we go through this healthy church thing is, is church membership. And one of the important things we want to strive for as we go forward is that you are participating in using your gift in the church. Um, there's that phrase that says, you know, 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. We'd like to switch that around. We'd like for you all to get involved. Uh, we would like for you to participate. And so that's why uh, when we go through our interview process of becoming members, um, it's important for us to understand what are some of the things that you do well? What are the, some of the things you think God is bringing you uh, to do here at Calvary? And so if you have an idea uh, how you can participate, um, please come to the leadership and, and uh, ask how you can be involved. Um, if you have an idea of something that, that should go on, um, come and, 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 and present that. Um, a lot of you have, have done that to us recently. I know Jeremiah's done that with the evangelistic and, and worship outreach. Um, there's a Simonian increase. Uh, said they wanted to uh, think about ways to get the couples together in, in, in a group again. We used to have that in the past. Um, so if you have ideas, we need to get this all together, working together. It's like Thomas has been preaching about the bride. Uh, the church is the bride. We're preparing for Christ. Um, but it's important that we are working together because uh, the church is us. 
We are Calvary International Church. And so we need to be working together and having that unity. There is a passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about the body and how it's important. Uh, every member. And, and it's written there that, you know, the, there's the toe and the eye and the ear. And the ear can't say to the eye, oh, I'm more important than you are. And the toe can't say, oh, uh, I'm the one who keeps you going. I'm more important than you are. Each piece of the body is important, and each one has its function. And so we need to be working together. But what happens when a piece of the body is removed? What happens when it gets cut off? Um, the whole body suffers, and that piece of the body doesn't work well. And so in the same image, um, it's hard for us to grow if we're not a part of the church. It's hard for us to be involved in spiritual life if we're not coming and being a part of the body. Um, so don't give up coming to the church. Come and be a part. Um, if you move off into another place, if God moves you into another country or another city, look for a church. Look for a place where you can be involved um, because each one of us is important. Our time is, uh, is gone here. Um, but I wanted us to, to just see these things as, as we move forward, as we look for a new pastor, uh, we each need to be doing our part. We each need to be looking at what is it God wants me to do. And so let's do a little bit of review here. What does God want us to do? He wants us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That we would be willing to let God use us. And for a purpose, that he would be glorified. What does God want us to do then? He wants us to have renewed minds. He wants us to be prepared for how we should be thinking. Um, we need to be ready to fight against the world who is going to be attacking us. And we need to fill our minds with things that are important. And all of that is the will of God. Each of us needs to be spending time, encouraging each other to be spending time in God's word. And this is where we're going to have the answers to life um, coming from. And as we are Christians, as we are together, as we are one, we have spiritual gifts. We have things that um, we can use to edify and build up the church. And so we need to be uh, participating together. Romans is a great book, and if you want something to, to learn, you can start from chapter 1 and go through. Um, but if you're here today and, and you haven't quite understood exactly the, the meaning of what it means to have a Christian life, uh, if you're uh, not sure about how to have a Christian mind, uh, feel free to ask. Uh, feel free to, to come and, and say, Lord, uh, I don't understand this, and, and would you help me to understand it? It's important that we understand that there is a consequence for the actions that we do that aren't uh, following God. And the Bible calls that sin. Um, and because of those sins, there's going to be the day when there's a final judgment. And after that point, there's no change. And the rest of eternity is going to decide be decided on this decision, if we're going to know Christ, be in Christ, follow Christ. And I hope that you've made that decision 
to say yes to Christ and to say yes to having him in your life because um, separation from God isn't something we'd like. I'm going to call the worship team up to continue, but uh, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer as they come. God, we thank you that you have given us your word, and we thank you that you have um, given us how to understand your will, that you just haven't thrown us out here in limbo, um, but that you are with us. God, we thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit uh, residing in us, and I ask that each one of us during the week that we be listening to him to know what we should do in every situation. Uh, I ask, God, that you would help us in the protection of our mind, that every day we would put on the helmet uh, that would protect us from the enemy's um, fiery darts. Protect us from temptation, Lord, and help us to choose what is right. Um, God, I ask that you'd help us during the week to reach out to each other, to encourage each other, to be involved in a small group, to be involved in gatherings where we can encourage and use our gifts with each other. I thank you for this body of believers that you've brought here together, which is Calvary International Church, and I pray that you would help us to grow, to be one, that we would be light and reflect you to the world around us. And I ask these things in Christ's name, amen.